Have you ever thought about changing careers, but you are afraid or believed it was impossible? Has God told you you had a greater purpose and it's time to switch things up? On this episode, we will talk about what it takes to take a leap of faith, to make what appears like an unclear transition, and the beauty in finding clarity through it all. God gave me a pocket full of change, even when I didn't know how to maintain. But he showed how far my range is. So thank you, God, for blessing me with this voice to spread knowledge about faith, leadership, and choices. Hmm, like putting you first. And when life has its battles, he always proves his worth. I plan to use his voice, hope they remember my name. Through this podcast called Pocket Full of Change. Pocket Full of Change. Pocket Full of Change. Pocket Full, Pocket Full, Pocket Full of Change. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to the Pocket of Change, the podcast. I'm your host, Leisha McKeithen. a millennial motivational speaker and abundant advocate encouraging all millennials to achieve whatever they may desire. This is season four of the podcast. I can't wait for you to hear all of the amazing episodes this season. I'll be highlighting black millennial stories from getting it out the mud to sustaining a healthy, fulfilled lifestyle. Are you ready for a pocket full of change? Wow, does he have a story to tell y'all. He is inspirational, a warm soul, and on top of all that has the nerve to be smart. We actually met at the American Sesh only about a few months ago. I found out how much we had in common and had to have him on my show. It is my excitement to welcome Mr. Chris Singleton. Lisa, I really appreciate the opportunity um, to be on your podcast. And, um, you know, I'm just totally excited about this. I've been thinking about it all day. I'm Chris Singleton, born and raised from Newport News, Virginia. We used to call it Bad News, uh, Virginia. Um, I uh, went to Hampton University. Uh, graduating in 04, and I'm a member of Omega Sapphire Fraternity Incorporated. I love the Lord, and He loves me. I'm married uh, with two boys. Um, the industry that I'm in currently is uh, in IT. Um, I'm a uh, senior QA analyst and software developer. And um, prior to that, I was a therapist. Uh, I used to try to save the world in Newport News trying to get them kids off the street and fix families based off of my background. And uh, a little bit later, we'll talk about where that got me and how that got me into this IT space, um, trying to be Superman. But that's a little bit about me. No longer want to save the world? Like, that's not a thing? (laughs) So I had to figure out. I got hurt, (laughs) y'all. So um, it, it it was, I would say, you know, when you're trying to be a, what I would call a superhero, black superhero, um, and you're trying to reach back and, and save families and, and try to change the world one person at a time, um, everybody doesn't feel that. And I, I believe that um, 
when I got into human service, I'm going to go back a little bit into my childhood. You know, I, I was a PK. My mother's mm. a full-time uh, preacher. My dad was deacon in the ministry. I'm a military brat. And so I grew up in a very structured family. Um, but what, well, once I got to middle school, I would say I was a, a part-time hoodlum slash uh, full-time uh, youth youth minister in a sense. <laughs> and I was, I was <laughs> part-time hoodlum. So, I like that. <laughs> part-time hoodlum, you know, uh, outside of church, I definitely was doing crazy stuff. I was in a gang. I was shot in the sixth grade. I, um, oh. man, I used to fight all the time, but I was, I was so good with my words. Like God has given me an uh, innate ability to use my words and, and I, you know, have wisdom at a young age. And so that's why I was able to get people to follow me. And I got adults to kind of follow me too. So I never got in trouble. Or if I was in a situation where I was about to get in trouble, I was so influential um, with my relationships that um, I never got in trouble. I mean, I, I, w- I was supposed to get kicked out of school in um, seventh grade. I, I got expelled for a few weeks, but I didn't get suspended. I didn't go to juvenile detention with the rest of the crew <laughs> you know when they were everybody got locked up it was like a mini riot in school that was wow. um two gang two gangs um got together and basically just set it off at the school and um you know uh I had a peer get killed uh shot probably around the corner from my bus stop after he left my presence um, probably wow. like 20, 30 minutes later, he was murdered, and I could that could have been me. You know, that was the second, um, uh, I guess, experience of, of gang trauma and, and gun violence, and they put news with me, um, you know. Wow. And so when I got to high school, my father got diagnosed with terminal cancer. He had multiple myeloma cancer. Um, they said he got it when he was in Vietnam. Or, you know, he was infected with the poisons that they were giving those soldiers. Um, and so mm-hmm. um, my my life changed in the ninth grade, like, overnight after a football game. And um, I got to the hospital. My dad was paralyzed from the waist down. He didn't know what was going on. And, uh, you know, for they gave him maybe a month to live after the diagnosis. But we serve a good God, um, the same God that didn't allow me to get shot and killed. Um, you know, we, he, he started walking maybe, maybe a year after he was diagnosed. He 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 lived, my dad asked God to let him live and be a miracle and to walk. And so God really, I think, answered his prayer and gave him three years after his diagnosis to basically act like there was nothing wrong with him. And I mean, the doctors were like, what? Like what? This isn't supposed to happen with this cancer. This cancer is supposed to take over your entire body and kill you. Period. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very aggressive, and uh, he learned how to walk again. But I turned into a caretaker for mm-hmm. you know three, three and a half years of my life when I was really holding a lot of different hats and trying to be in the street, trying to be in the church, and trying to take care of my dad. So. Obviously, I experienced a lot of different types of trauma. Um, and mind you, my dad's a military officer. And so he he loved me. 
to the provider, but, you know, my thesis says, you know, he was the man upstairs, basically. We served him. He provided for us, but I didn't have a relationship. And so, mm. um, you know, we um, probably my senior year in high school, um, I was I turned 18, and that was when my dad took me out to dinner first time um, alone. Like, I've never been anywhere with him by myself that I can remember. Um, hmm. And we had dinner together. And unfortunately, you know, it was like the start of a bond, but I took care of him for three years prior to that, you know, wiping him up, feeding him, hmm. you know, just literally taking care of him. It, it probably humbled him. I don't know. But it started our relationship then, but he ended up passing away like two weeks before I graduated. And so, you know, that type of what I went through growing up with being in a gang and, and then trying to shake it, like those dudes didn't go away in high school. They wanted, they came by the house. They wanted me to kick mm-hmm. it with them. They respected my father, you know, my mother. Um, but when it was time to be out, they wanted to be out. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, so I had to figure out how to live that life and, and thread the needle. So I call it, you know, what when I talk to kids, I call it um, coloring um, closely outside of the line so that you don't get in trouble. I just want to take a pause to show gratitude for Chris being so honest and transparent and sharing his story because he didn't have to do that. I'm going to get right back into the story, but I just wanted to take a moment to just say thank you so much because whoever listens to this, I hope they're inspired. And I hope they know that if they don't want to be in the situation that they're currently in, there's hope. Obviously, you know, blunt um, criminal or street activity, you know, when you're sneaky about your stuff, those are the people that get popped big time. And I was Mm. very sneaky. (laughs) And so, um, you know, speeding this up a little bit, but I, uh, get to college. Hampton University is the only college that accepted me because I wasn't thinking about college. I just was going to go into military like the rest of my family. But my father passed away, and I think his blessing to me is that the government, the GI Bill, said, hey, we'll pay for school for you. We'll pay for a portion of it. And I was like, for real? <laughs> I want to go to college, not military, you know? And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, that was my blessing, I guess, from him. Uh, one, of the, one of the blessings. And uh, so I went to Hampton, and I literally changed my life around and realized, you know, God's real, and maybe I need to um, thread the needle better and and choose him over some of the lifestyle I was living. Obviously, in college, you still live your life, but I wasn't in the streets. Even though the streets tried to follow me at Hampton, uh, I saved some people's lives uh, because I was from Newport News. And so there there were some times where, um, I was able to to mediate situations from, uh, I would call them New Yorkers. They always got in trouble with kids from Newport News. And, um, unfortunately, I knew some of the people they were getting into it with, and they could have died. But I, met, I, I mediated that, and I always considered myself like a mediator. I always was put in situations like that. And so I wanted to get back in, in my hometown and, and fix some of the things I thought that was broken. And um, so I became a social worker, went to graduate yeah. school to be a therapist, and, mm-hmm. um, you know, started to work in juvenile detention, writing grants with my mentors, and um, 
really just getting out there trying to do motivational speaking and things of that sort. And yeah. one of one of my one of my uh my managers was like, yo, what do you want to do? Like, what are you really trying to do? You know, like you're you're doing too much. And I was just like, what's too much? I'm trying to help the community, period. And they were like, well, it's impacting your job. Like, we have rules, and you have to make sure children are safe. And I was like, I am, you know. But, uh, you know, as a social worker, and you'll see news articles and reports about this, um, Child Protective Services and DCFS um, and others, like Midwest, they call it DCFS, they Mm -hmm. have the power of the law. We have the power of the law to basically run up in your house with the police, Take your children. Um, it's like legal kidnapping, even and just off allegations. And I, I used to do that. I used to say, "Oh, this child's in danger. I'm taking your kid. If you don't sign this this uh, order, you know that I'm going to go to the court or the magistrate and, and get them to do a safety plan because I got this report. And it might not be founded, but you are obligated to do certain things to, for the sake of protecting children." And so I got a case. It was a high-profile case, and um, this it was a military officer who was who was said to be raping his daughter at night, or and mm-hmm. grooming her, and then he was grooming her to prepare to rape her, basically. Um, mm-hmm. And I did everything I could to keep that child out of the house, but the mother did not want that man out the house. So I said, it's either him or your daughter that's leaving, and um, the military stepped in. He was a retiring officer in the Air Force, and the military stepped in and took him and was like, he belongs to us. We're going to put him in the barracks until he retires. So that was case closed for me. Um, I did what the law said. I participated with the police officers, went to court, all that. Um, when that man retired, the military law kind of disappeared, and he went back mm-hmm. home. Mm-hmm. And they dis- they disappeared on us, and I think my manager thought that I should have got him in court more. But needless to say, man back in the house, the girl turned like 18. While he was mm-hmm. so he was away for like a year or two, she turns 18. She reports that the man was raping her. Mm-hmm. And it started coming down the pipe like uh, CPS, Newport News, dropped the ball. And it was my case. And so heads started to roll, and they were like, we're going to let you go. And so Mm -hmm. I knew it was coming, but before they let me go, I took a leave of absence. Like, um, I was struggling because Mm -hmm. everything was my fault after that. It was like they had to find a way to get rid of me, but they had no way to get rid of me. Mm -hmm. Right? So, um, but I was hurt because I'm like, I'm just helping people. But every time I went out there, to get another family, I was being um, ostracized or scrutinized in different ways. And I'm like, listen, I'm just literally being a, a servant to these people. And um, But they, the underlying current was that they wanted to fire me, but they wait. They didn't have enough, but they couldn't. So mm-hmm. needless to say, I took a leave of absence, and I had to, like, really come to Jesus in a sense. I'm like, look. I'm getting sick daily. My wife was like, you need to figure something out. And so I took a leave of absence, and um, it, and backing it up, every case they would give me would be a high-profile case or, or child fatality. So mm-hmm. it was like, drop the ball again, or we're going to put you in front of people for you to fall. 
in the public. So I had five child fatalities, unfortunately, that I had to investigate, and I was just super depressed. Like, it was my birthday one day, and I just started busting out crying because I had a fatality on my birthday, and they made me work it. Um, and it was just unbearable. And so in that leave of absence, I took three months off of work. Um, I wasn't even getting paid by the second month. Um, and I was just like, man, whatever, we're going to make it. Like, crazy stories. Like, I had a newborn son. I used to go to the, to the, to the daycare next door to our house. And I was like, hey, can you just please watch my son for, like, two hours so I can study because I had got introduced to IT. And, mm-hmm. you know, my, my niece was like, hey, IT will change your life, your finances, everything. Like, just you, you still be able to use your mind. And so um, I used to, like, ah, we were broke, like spaghetti four nights a, four nights a week, you know what I'm saying? Like, we were Aww. just broke. Um, and so, you know, my wife was out there trying to grind, you know, and hold things together. And I was working little odd jobs or whatever. But I was like, I got to figure out something because when I do go back to work, I know they're going to fire me. And so mm-hmm. um, they couldn't fire me on a leave of absence. And um, right. my big brother, you know what I'm saying? So they were just like, when he comes back, we got you. And so I I knew it was all or nothing. So I, um, I, I pretty much put myself in my own personal school, the YouTube University. Uh, oh, yes, YouTube training. University. <laughs> yep. And I learned how to code. I learned how to understand code. And I realized, I was like, you don't need a degree to get into IT. And people are out here making six figures, and I'm just like, this is unreal. And so mm-hmm. I was in a boot camp. Um, you know, my, my, my Indian brothers and sisters from Asia, <laughs> you know, they do these uh-huh. boot camps <laughs> where they train uh-huh. each other. And you work for them, in a sense, and they train each other. They are, like, group economics is, like, what they do. and But they help each other in IT. And so I'm in it, and, you know, they treated me like you don't deserve to be here type deal, but it didn't matter. I paid to get into their little program. And so uh, I, I pushed myself. And at the end of the three months, I went back to work. They uh, made me give Christmas gifts away to, uh, like, homeless and, and, and low-income families. And the day after Christmas, they fired me. Um, wow. They were like, you know, you're, you're done. Um, what was got, their reason? You know, I got in, I got, when I was driving the, the little, like, city vehicle to uh, to drop off presents, it was raining, and a car slid, and I ran into the back of somebody else. Um, and so they was like, this accident gave you enough points to be fired. <laughs> so it was a point system they put me mm-hmm. on. And so I had no idea even about the points. It was like 10 points of occurrences you get fired and I didn't even know that that was the case but they I guess more than half was they said I put a child in harm's way which it was all put together but yeah still you know go ahead I was just gonna say like it sounds like they were coming up with um a method in order to kind of close the close the gap Mm -hmm. um Yep. And if you didn't yeah. have, like, other opportunities already, the door was already opening for you, mm-hmm. excuse me, then then I would have said you could have fought that. But 
that's the yeah, HR speaking yeah. in I, me. I probably could have. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I know. I mean, and I went. I, I did go to a friend of mine. She went to my church. She was one of the HR leads for the city, and she was like, "Do you want to go down this path? You know, of like coming after the city." And I was just like, "If I can't," I was angry. I was like, "If I can, I will." You know, and she was like, "But is this?" What, she was like, "You know, and this is, is that what you want? Is this what you want?" And is and at that moment, I had to say, is this what God wants me to do? Is this mm-hmm. where he wants me to stay? And so um, I was like, maybe there's something else out here. And, again, I was born and raised in Newport News, and I was like, you know, some of us only knew Jefferson and Ward. Those are the two main roads. Now, out of Newport News, you have Allen Iverson, you have Michael Vick, you got Coach Tom, like, you know, Pharrell and, and the Clips. Like, we got all these people, Missy Elliott all come from where I'm from, you know, but Mm. most people don't travel out of that area. It's, you know, it's Mm -hmm. a military and shipyard town. Most people don't travel out of that area unless they make it. Um, And so IT allowed me to travel out of the area and actually see the world. Um, And the world meaning I was able to get to Chicago and that's actually where my life changed. And so, um, you know, getting back to, do I want to save the kids? Yeah, but I, I went through a time where I got hurt by trying to save them, and I was like, well, maybe this ain't my call. You know, maybe this ain't what I'm supposed to do. So I embraced IT to better myself and my family, and now I'm at a point where IT and helping young people and, and helping people in general, because if I can help a parent, then I can help them better their children. And so mm-hmm. now it's coming back together. It's almost it's 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 full circle where now I understand what I want to do and what I'm doing right now is uh, coaching um, individuals to do career switchers like I did and to mm-hmm. understand that you know Google, um, Google, Apple, Amazon they they're literally saying we don't need a college diploma anymore if you're competent they'll give you a shot. I hire people all the time now. I don't I don't care if you went to school. I just need to know, can you get the code right? Can you test right? I was like, can you do the work? <laughs> can you do the work? If you can, you get your six figures. Like, that's nothing in IT. Like, you get your, you know, 80 to 100,000, and you, you, do, you do the work, and as long as you don't mess up, you keep your job. Or what a lot of people are doing is they just do contract work. You know, where you get paid even double, you make, you know, $75 to $100 an hour, and you're working for six to eight months, and then you go to the next contract, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so that's what people are doing right now. That's what I did when I first started, um, you know, and, <clears throat> you know, it's I, I see now, too, where um, it's like the black migration where, you know, black people are just seeing dog, there's money in IT, I can, and I don't have to actually know how to code, and you don't, like, my wife did a career, I helped her get her job, my wife is a business analyst, and all she does is interview people, and and create requirements based off of her interviews for a coder to, um, or developer to take her English words and turn it into code, but, you know, all she does is interview and talk to people all day, but that's IT, and they make more than I do. (laughs) <laughs> you know, she mm-hmm. made more than me now. You know, and I trained her in, in maybe two to three months 
um, did a couple of little classes with her, and she she transitioned. Um, you know, I try to really level up my entire family, my nieces and nephews, for those who want to be a part of it. But you know, that's just this is the game right now. Um, you know, the career switching into IT. I have two last questions. One is like super fun. And then the other one is just like quirky. The first question is what has been your best experience since transitioning? My best experience since transitioning is um, being able to purchase this house I just built. Um, and wasn't fun. The process of buying, thank you. <laughs> it wasn't <laughs> fun. Like buying a house is probably one of the hardest purchases you can make. However, it is the most rewarding because, you know, being on a twenty-seven thousand dollars salary as a social worker, you know, oh, maybe yeah. thirty thousand. You know, you do a lot of hard work, but you don't get reimbursed for it. And so, mm-hmm. you know, me being able to have enough to buy this beautiful home, and I'm in Georgia now, and you know, my kids are able to, you know, run in the backyard. It's just amazing. So that's my most rewarding and, and great thing I've had. Okay. That's beautiful. Congratulations on your home. So we've gotten to the portion of the episode where I want to call it the It's of the Week. So the song of the week this week is called You Remain by Todd Galberth. Don't quote me as correct pronunciation, but it's also featuring Chandler Moore. If you are a lover of gospel music and you like gospel music that like almost makes you want to cry, this is a good one for you. The blessing of the week this week is actually just introspection. I've been really working on some inner work. I've been working on inner work for probably almost a year now. Um, I've always been working on myself prior to that year that I'm referencing, but I really have been working diligently for the last year on myself. Just being aware of my habits, being aware of how I treat other people, how I treat myself, and so... I'm just really appreciative of the journey that I'm on. And so lastly is the scripture of the week is coming from 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. And it says, my dear children, you come from God and belong to God. You have already won a big victory over those false teachers. For the spirit in you is far stronger than anything in the world. These people belong to the Christ denying world. They talk the world's language and the world eats it up. But we come from God and belong to God. Anyone who knows God understands us and listens. The person who has nothing to do with God will, of course, not listen to us. This is another test for telling the spirit of truth from the spirit of deception. So for me, the scripture is just talking about following God and the people who are supposed to receive Whatever knowledge that you get from God will receive it. I think so often I personally have a challenge of like, I don't want to be too preachy and not realizing that like God is in my life and it's very common that I might come off preachy. 
And that's okay because people who know me are going to appreciate how good God is in my life. And people who don't appreciate it, it's okay. I don't have to shy away from being who I am. They just won't receive it and that's okay. So don't shy away from who God told you to be. Just be authentically yourself and who's supposed to receive it will. So my last and final question is when you think or you hear the words pocket of change, what comes to mind? Uh, For me, pocket of change means that you make the best out of what you have. You know, um, I was reading scripture this morning, matter of fact, um, and I think it was Paul or Peter, I don't know. But the story is (laughs) that uh, he said, I learned how to be abased and I learned how to be abound, meaning he learned how to live with a little bit and he learned how to live with a lot so that everything that he does, he just is content. So, you know, that's what pocket full of change means to me. Um, I done had a whole lot of pocket full of changes where, you know, I took change to buy, you know, McDonald's, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. or change to, to make sure that I could eat in college or make sure my, my family can eat. Um, so you can do a lot with change. It's powerful. And so that's what it means to me. Okay, let's just recap a little bit. I want to say, Don't let a setback stop you from achieving. Be aware that some things might be difficult, but when God presents you an opportunity, listen. Chris could have known that he was going to be let go from his job and just didn't work on anything during his leave of absence time. But someone exposed him to an opportunity And he took the opportunity. So I'm telling you, God will give you so many hints on what your future is. Take a moment to listen to it, to pay attention, be aware, be vigilant. So that when it's time to make moves, you're not confused on who sent it to you. You know exactly who sent it and what you're supposed to do with it. Thank y'all so much for listening. Make sure you subscribe, share, and leave a review telling me what you thought of this episode. It's only right that I get a pocket of change too. Pocket full of change. Pocket full of change. Pocket full, pocket full, pocket full of change.